All right, we have some very special bonus content to share with you today. This is my full interview with Shirley J. As soon as we started working on our Chicago episode, it was clear. We had to get an interview with Shirley. Not only is she a regular there, but everyone lovingly refers to her as the mayor of nobody's darling. It took a lot of tracking down and persuading, but I finally got Shirley on the phone. We started by talking about her life as a young queer person in 1970s Chicago. Oh, I don't, I, I I guess when I realized that I was gay, I actually realized I was 30. I was a slow bloomer, so I didn't come out till later, okay? Were you in Chicago? Yeah, I've lived here my whole life. I was born on the South Side, then I moved to the North Side in the 70s and um, been here ever since. So how did it happen that you eventually realized you were gay? My brother was gay, so I kind of got introduced to the gay scene by him. But that, that what hit me is the first gay bar was like, whoa. There, you know, it was like made me feel like, oh, there are people here that feel the way I was thinking, okay? <laughs> it was amazing. You have these feelings, you know, for women, and then it's like back in the day, you, you couldn't just act on them like that. That must have been so helpful that your brother was also gay. Yeah, well, actually, you know, this is a funny story, but one of his friends took me out to the, to a gay bar where he was. And that's how I found out that he was gay. Kind of outed him to me. So that's how it all started. And then did you meet other queer friends through him? Along the way, okay. Uh, I met some people through him and then introduced by different people in different settings. And, you know, it may be somebody's girlfriend that I might know the girlfriend or I might know the person that they met and they're with now. So, you know, in the gay community, it's always like groups, you know, how you have you have certain cliques. And if you meet one person from another clique, nine times out of ten, they're going to meet your crowd and you're going to meet their crowd. So then that's how it evolves. Uh, It just kept building and building as far as friends and places to go. And then I became part of um, uh, a group that opened up this place called The Warehouse. Uh, I don't know if you heard of it. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Frankie Knuckles, uh, but it was a new genre of of music after disco, which was house. And so we kind of all went out together, hung out together. It was like guys and girls, okay? So we would have house parties and that. And some of the guys were sitting around one night and they started talking about it. And it was from an ideal that we got from New York um, when they had Davis Loft and other loft-style parties that were going on that would start midnight and last to like 7 in the morning. Because we would frequent New York at least once a month and uh, just to go party. And we were just discussing, you know, we're sitting around just, you know, chatting like, men. you're chatting now. Okay, came up with the ideas. Why don't we do this? You know, in Chicago, bring it to Chicago, and uh, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just started with a house party, and it was big, huge. Okay, and uh, after that, we had parties every weekend, one night, Saturday night. That was it, and we got a loft space uh, in the warehouse dif- district. Uh, near Fulton Market, which is now West Loop. 
uh, one was on uh, Canal and Adams. And uh, we turned it into like a club, you know. It was just beautiful with the disco ball and uh, uh, balloons, just everything. And kind of just mimic what they did in New York, brought it to Chicago. And it was a hit. Wow. So the model that you were following from New York was like an after-hours dance club? Yeah, uh, uh, late night, one night a week. That was what we were mimicking. And the music, the music, we brought new music. That's why house music now is called house because when we opened up the warehouse, people would say, are you going to the house tonight? You know, so kind of got, that's what they kind of, kind of named the music that we would play there because it was a different type of music. It wasn't the disco music anymore. It was a house sound. If you know anything about house music, you would understand what I'm saying. Around what year was this? I want to say 1980s, maybe. Yeah. Actually, we started, you know what, actually, uh, let me go back. We started in the 70s. And I think we were done. We started in, I think, maybe, what, 74, maybe. And then we ended up around, I think, 77, 78, 79. So can you describe what the warehouse was like? Like, what did it look like inside? It was our house. It was our clubhouse, so to speak. Okay. We went shopping. We'd go antiquing. We had different rooms that looked different ways. So when you came in, you come into this warehouse and, you know, this is an industrial district. And then you open up the doors and then you come in and we had everything set up. You couldn't really see the dance floor because we had like curtains to uh, block it off. So when you came in, you just saw we had even had a coat check. We had rooms where you could sit back and lay back like a lounge area, watch TV. Uh, it was just set up that way. And then. If you wanted to chat with somebody, you had, you know, just a room where you could sit and not, you know, be a part of the music. And once you would come through and open up, the curtains here is this big old dance floor, people dancing and lights going on and on. The the ceiling was had parachutes, you know, pulled out with balloons underneath and lighting. Uh, it, this is something that you really had to see to really appreciate it. So, oh man, it was just beautiful, you know. How did you spread the word about it? Like, how how did it become so popular? We dis- we kind of designed a way of having people kind of come to our parties by having them become members. Okay, so you had to come to a party three times in a row to become a member, so we would get to know you, you know. And uh, once you did that, you can just sign up as a member. And we had a guest list. So we would keep track of all the members. So every time we open up the doors, we would check off that person when they come in. And if they brought a guest, we would allow them to bring a guest or two. And if their guest came a number of times, you know, just to kind of figure it out who was coming and uh, keep it safe. Even though it was, uh, you know, men and women, boys and girls. We still had to worry, you know, a little bit, especially back in the 80s. It was really, you know, common to kind of, you know, kind of be discreet. You know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my male friends, would they would come uh, to the north side and they would actually 
uh, get a locker downtown in order to change clothes. Okay. It's, you know, because they didn't want to travel on public transportation looking gay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. So did the club ever get raided? No, no, we didn't because we didn't serve alcohol. You know, it was just, uh, you know, non-alcoholic. We weren't a bar. It was like a club. So no, we never did. Okay. Did, did you ever feel unsafe personally being out at the time? Uh, no, not really. No, no. As far as danger, no, because a lot of, when we went, we were, you know, always trying to be safe. And we were, like I said, we always traveled in an entourage. So the only time that I felt like, uh, threatened or anything like that was when, if I went to a bar and they wouldn't let my friends in, it seemed like when I would go in, they would say, you can come in, but you know. It's too many people with you. You see what I'm saying? So it was like that. Do you know why that would happen? Uh, for black gay women or lesbian women, it was harder to get in as a group to some of the uh, bars that were open. If it was more than two of you and you were black, they would like, uh, they wouldn't let you in, you know. So it was a few of them like that. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, well, that's the way it was back then. That was the 70s. And uh, so you come in, if you're coming in with a group, it's three or four of you guys, you're not getting in, okay? So you had to break up and go in twos. Or if you knew, you know, they knew you or kind of knew you, and they're like, come on in. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we had to do that back then. So that would happen at some of the other gay bars in the area? Were there a lot of them at the time? It was, you know, it was more bars than now. And a lot of them were gay. And the women's bars, like uh, Carol's and Maryland's and the, and the Miz, it was just more to choose from. And then there was Paris, Paris Dance. So then over the years, those bars started to close, you know. And the only thing that was left was Stargaze, okay? So that was the end of the era of, more choices as far as bars were concerned. And then do you know around when they started closing? It had to be, I think, well, over 10 years ago, I would say, for Stargaze. This this is, yeah, over 10 years ago for Stargaze. And Matisse, who was right after that, so maybe I would say six or seven years ago. Okay, so Joy Divine is the bar that was in the space that Nobody's Darling is in now. And that didn't close until kind of recently. So was that one of the last bars to close in the area? Yes, the last to close of those bars. Because Joy Divine is the neighborhood bar. So you had, you know, the residents would come in for drinks. But the girls kind of slowed down going there um, over the years. It started to just, you know, it wasn't as popular as it was before. And so the clientele was like, not like it used to be. So I was throwing parties there uh, to keep, kind of trying to keep it alive. And uh, Lori and I had developed a friendship who was a previous owner of Joy Divine. 
and um, just trying to, you know, help keep it open. So on certain holidays, I would have house parties like Christmas and that. And then my house got too small for my party. So I said, oh, well, let me just, you know, ask Lori, can I throw the party over there? And then I started doing my parties over there. And uh, which, uh, you know, helped out in the way girls started coming and, you know, I would pack the bar. And so we were having fun doing that. But as I say, the business declined. People weren't really coming out and supporting. So it just like it was like a slow decline. So how would that work when you would throw the parties there? Would you rent out the space from Lori? Well, no, it was it was never shut down. People were throwing parties. She always uh, would let anybody that come in, come in, you know, because she, like I said, she has a clientele, small clientele that would be there. So, uh, yeah, I would, I didn't have to rent it from her because it was like I was bringing in people and, and you know, she would get, the, you know, the money at the bar. So that was helping both ways. So I could throw my parties there and it helps her because people were buying drinks. So, like I said, and that was during the slow time. Can you describe Joy Divine's? Like, what was it like? Oh, my God. Joy Divine went to open up 2003. Okay. And that was one of, uh, it was a wine bar. So it, you know, it, it attracted girls when they would come from out of town. It was, it was more like a date bar and uh, kind of classy. And uh, girls would go there, you know, on dates and that. And uh, it was like, it was, it was a bar to go to back then. And that was open when Stargaze was open. So you had Stargaze and you had the wine bar. And, uh, Stargaze was more dance type bar and, you know, they had dance, they had a pool table, you know, you could do mingle and do a lot of things. They had different nights for different music. They had salsa night, uh, which was a good night. And, uh, it was, you know, we used to go step into the wine bar, which was your divine and maybe have a couple of sips of wine. Then they had a cheese flight and then talk and then, head over to Stargaze because Stargaze was where the music was jumping and people were dancing. And so that's how it went. And then how did you end up meeting Angela and Renata? I've known Angela and Renata, oh, seven or more years. And uh, I met them going to, uh, Renata was having pop-up parties at different locations throughout the city. Because as you know, a lot of the girls' bars had closed in the city of Chicago. So they started giving pop-up parties. I was introduced to Renata by one of my friends, okay? And uh, we talked for a minute. And then uh, she invited us to one of her parties. uh, And my friend invited her to one of her parties. So we kind of just started hanging out, you know, uh, other than, you know, the brunch remix and the pop-up parties. And that's how we became friends. And Angela the same. I was more or less introduced to both of them around the same time. At I, I think it was at the same party. Do you remember what your first impressions were of the two of them? Ah, uh, I love them. That's I can say that I really love them. They're engaging and uh, friendly. You know, they're like family. You know, when you meet them, they're like, you know trying to look for a word but it's it's just like it was so spontaneous and we just start talking you know they're warm and they're 
they just, you know, they invite you in. What can I tell you? You know, so um, that's what I felt the first time. They, they weren't standoffish at all. They were like, hey, hi, you know, who are you? You know, like that. It was, it was really nice. You know, it was a nice introduction. And it sticks in my mind because I could still see Renata's face and Angie's face. So uh, we started seeing each other more at other parties and other friends' houses. And we just got to know each other. Can you describe Renata's parties? Like, what were those like? Oh, my God. They were wonderful because it gave uh, it was a chance that you can go to an all-girls party, okay? Because uh, after Stargaze closed, T's closed, all the bars closed, there was nothing for us to really do. There were a few pop-up parties at the attic, you know, Hamburger's Mary's attic and other places. Like, But it hadn't been anything really something to look forward to until they start throwing their parties. And they were always uh, classy, you know. The girls were beautiful and uh, it was just, and it was a mix. And that's what really, really, really got you going is diverse, um, women of all ages. And it, it was just something different. And uh, the novelty about it was that it was never at the same place. OK, so it, it would be in Boys Town one one day and then it would be someplace entirely different the next. So they were like moving around town, so to speak. And it was just it, it was great. Sometimes it would be a city city winery, and it gave the chance for the girls to come out, mingle, mostly lesbians, mostly gay women. So that was the charm of it all. How would people hear about these parties? Like, how, how did you originally find them? Okay, well, again, I had met Renata, and uh, she was actually throwing the parties. And... Um, it, saw, it, it was like word of mouth, you know, I'm giving a party and, you know, you get invited. And, I, and through social media, they would advertise. But me being in the in crowd, I would hear about it before they even put it, you know, online. So that's how, you know, I would hear about the parties mainly. You know, every time you get an email, I was on the uh, guest list and she sent out an email. And then I was like, oh, OK, then get tickets and then you go. So then Angela and Renata end up taking over the Joy Divine space. What did you think of that when you first heard about it? I was excited. I was really excited that it wasn't going to close, okay? And it was people that we knew that bought it. And uh, it was going to be women-owned, Black-owned. I mean, it was just going to be something new. And I knew that Renata... She she's uh, really skilled at throwing parties. And I knew that it was going to, you know, be a, a, a nice place to go to. So um, I was excited. I was really excited. I was and I was excited that we're, the club was going to keep, you know, I was going to stay in the neighborhood. It wasn't going to close down. I live in the neighborhood, so that's why I called it my cheers bar because I can, it takes me five minutes to get there, and um, uh, you know I was really I was kind of bittersweet about Lori kind of losing the bar, but again, uh, it was like a win for the girls. I mean, and you know, 
black women own and it's uh it's new okay because all during my lifetime there's only one bar that I can remember except the bars at early but I didn't know about those bars they were boys bars but was uh the Jeffrey pub and uh that was black owned so other than that you know this is just different you know, but again, it's a different feel because it's diverse. That's what I love about it. Do you remember how you first found out about them opening Nobody's Darling? Yeah, I was passing by there just ironic, and they had just signed the contract uh, with Lori. They were sitting inside, but the door was open. And um, I had popped by and uh, said hello. And uh, I, kind of, I introduced uh, Renata and Angie. Uh, to Kathy, who runs Pauline's Restaurant, and they've been in the neighborhood forever, okay? It's just so happened the day they signed the contract, we all were like there, okay? I was passing it through, and uh, they said, come on in. And then Kathy was uh, doing something with the tables for Pauline's, and so it kind of all happened, you know? And uh, so they started merging together, and as far as on Saturdays and Sundays, they have brunch there from Pauline's. Oh, cool, cool. Are there other differences that stand out to you about Nobody's Darling Now versus Joy Divine's? It, it's a different vibe. Joy Divine, like I said, was a wine bar. And when it was really, really jumping, it was elegant, it's classy, and it, it had a good feel. Uh, Darlings, uh, it's, it's, you know how things evolve. I think that Darlings is more in line with the new trend of uh, the craft cocktails. Uh, I think that's part of it. And the fact that um, uh, Lenat is amazing. She is amazing. You know, she is great, great at producing. She really is. And it's always something happening new. You know, the singles. The uh, uh, the drag brunch. There's always something going on, and that's what's different from what it was before. What about how it looks? Does it look significantly different? Yeah, it looks different. Uh, it's, it, it, it has some of the same characteristics, but uh, I think what was really uh, very impressive was the, uh, the, and a big change, was the way the chalkboard was used. Okay, they have a chalkboard against the uh, exposed brick wall that has uh, the poem from Alice, Alice Walker, uh, Nobody's Darling. And uh, so it's written on that chalkboard. And when you walk in and you have a seat and you sit there, it's like, wow. And I think uh, because it's like, okay, I get it. Nobody's Darling. Were you at the opening party? Yeah. Well, they had a grand opening, but that was like different. But the opening to the public, it was like, wow. And uh, it was just amazing to go there and see your friends, okay, as the owners. So uh, it was, I, I was, I was just happy. I was really happy. And I think everybody else was. It was packed. It was so crowded because uh, the plus was that it was uh, 
summer was approaching, we were able to sit outside. So with the uh, pandemic going on, it was more easier for me and I guess other people to sit outside. You know, we were masked, but it was just a whole different uh, flavor. And it was so crowded. They had tables all the way down to the corner, okay, which hadn't been that way for years. Uh, a lot of my old friends, a lot of friends that we hung out with at uh, Clandestina and the Brunch Remix, a lot of those girls showed up. So it was like a reunion. Mm-hmm. So now I know you're somewhat of a regular there, but how did people start calling you the mayor of Nobody's Darling? You know, that kind of stuck with me. Um, I think because I know a lot of people, you know, when I come in, everybody says, hey, Shirley, hey, Shirley, you know, like that. And um, I bring people there. So I think that's how I got that name. Um, and uh, Angie could probably tell you better than I can. Because she, every time she inter- I introduce her to somebody or she introduced me to somebody, she said, oh, you're the mayor. So, you know, it kind of stuck. How do you feel about being called that? Like, what, what do you think of the nickname? <laughs> you know, I laugh. I chuckle a little bit. I'm like, okay, now I'm the mayor, okay? And uh, it just stuck. I don't know. I don't... I just, I think, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's an affectionate type thing, you know. That's what I feel like. like I'm kind of blushing right now, okay. <laughs> and I'm smiling, yes. If you saw me, I'm smiling now. It's, you know, it makes me smile. It makes me know that, you know, that I'm loved back. So, and then um, uh, Angie's partner, Sophia, she made me, um, a VIP sign so that I would always have this sign and it says reserved. Okay. And uh, for me, so I can use the sign anytime I want to use it. If I want to, you know, clear a table or something like that, I can use the sign. So that made me feel very welcome and very loved. I can put it everywhere I want. Of course, I'm not going to like you know, make people get up. But if I get there and there's a table, I can just set it there and that's my table. And it's shaped like a butterfly. (laughs) So uh, that's why I said it's like a cheers bar to me because, you know, everybody knows my name, it seems like. And even some of the new people I've met there and I've been seeing them, they've been coming in. And, you know, it's good when you come in and someone say, hey, Shirley, or hey, Mayor, or they'll announce the mayor's here, you know. So it's a a feel-good bar. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I so I also heard that you'll often buy rounds of drinks for people that you meet at the bar. Is is that true? Depending, yeah, I buy drinks for everybody. You know, uh, I don't just say, "Hey, you know, drinks on the bar on me." No, but if I meet people, I say, "Hey, you want me to buy your drink?" And they're like, "You want a drink?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then in turn, I get a drink. So it's like, yeah. That's that's me. Okay. You heard that, huh? And with my friends, too. I do that, too. But, yeah, if I meet somebody and we're talking, of course, I'm going to say, hey, you want a drink? And it's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, Zach, could you give this girl over here a drink? You know, like that. So, uh, and then I move on. But, I, 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 you know, I, you know, I'm a giving person. What can I tell you? Yeah, it seems like it. 
So how often would you say you go to the bar? Because it's right in your neighborhood, so it must be really convenient to just stop by, right? Often. (laughs) Uh, In the last few weeks, I haven't been because I had uh, uh, a little surgery. (laughs) Imperfect health? Oh, twice, three times, maybe. It's like home. Like I said, it's like cheers. And I can just go over it anytime. Sometimes I'm there more often than that. This past summer... Uh, I was there a lot, okay, so in the afternoon, in the evening, and then, and, you know, it's a place to go to. If you go out to dinner, you know where we go now, nobody's darling, you know, so that's the, that's the nightcap place, too. So when you bring friends there, are those the same people from the warehouse and that you used to go clubbing with, like that same group? Yep. We're still friends and we still, you know, yeah. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. What, what are they like? Can you describe your, your group of friends? Okay. So I, you know, I hang out with a crew of women. They're all queer women. Always. If we have a party, we invite each other. A house party. If we have a birthday, we have a dinner, we invite each other. So those are the people that I usually come up there with or go to a party with. So if we're going out, you know, we'll call each other. Hey, you're going up to nobody's darling tonight. We're coming over. Okay, who's coming? Blah, blah, blah. And then we all meet up. So that's our meetup place now. And uh, that's where we hang. My friends from the South Side that I've been friends with for years, you know, they come over. And uh, then my friends on the North Side, you know, I have a few of those. And we all just end up hanging out at nobody's darling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have one more question. Do you have any favorite memories that you want to share about Nobody's Darling? Uh, yeah. So one night I was in there and um, it was just when it had fairly, it was fairly new, just open. We were inside that night for some reason. And I don't know if it had been raining or whatever, but some reason. Then all of a sudden it was a group of girls towards the back. Uh, Whitney Houston song I Want to Dance with Somebody came on and the whole bar starts singing that song the, every, I mean the whole song and we were jumping up and singing and it was just oh my god it was just uh, it was really really inspirational I don't know I felt a lot I just felt connected like I don't know these people and I didn't, you know, but we were like, had our arms around each other and this did it for me. And it was, they were young, they were older, you know, it was like just a moment. And that was just one of, one of the nights, you know, that really just took me, you know, to another level and say, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. Follow us along on our road trip and see pictures at our website, cruisingpod.com, or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. 